Hey, how you doing, listeners? This is Gina Versa here with another episode of the Waffle Press Movie Podcast. We're going to be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, which we really enjoyed. But we have a uh, friend of the show, a guest, to uh, talk about this movie with us, and uh, my good friend Ryan is joining us. How you doing, Ryan? Doing okay. I'm glad to glad to jump on. Excited to to talk about this movie. It's a fun one. Yeah, you saw it twice already, so that's cool. You've seen it one yeah. more time than me. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it once the uh, the the Wednesday before release, and then again on Thursday. So so leaving that Thursday screening and telling my group it was my second time seeing it was kind of a funny thing. They were like, "How did you squeeze that in?" Yeah, definitely. Um, but Ryan, uh, for people that um, this is your first time on the podcast that might not know you, uh, what what is uh, what can you tell us a little about yourself? What you do? Any projects you're working on? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I am a cinematographer and editor uh, with cinematography. I do freelance work. I kind of jump between, you know, narrative shorts. I'm prepping on a feature now, uh, some music videos, fashion films in the past for various you know, publications, things like that, kind of pinging around. Uh, I'm also an editor for uh, Nebula, which is a streaming platform. I edit for several of their creators uh, on the kind of movie side of things. I edit for Cinema Wins and Patrick Willems, uh, as well as a bunch of other very cool creators over there so i kind of ping between those two things yeah any uh videos that people might have seen of yours that you edited or put together oh man um well so for patrick willems i've been editing since fall of 2020 so every single video because since then i've gotten my my mitts on i suppose (laughs) uh i can't think of which ones to to call out in particular but um we're currently working on a video about Bollywood, mm. uh, which will be out in probably within the next week or so. Uh, his okay. most recent video was also about, um, I guess broadly was about vibes, but it's mm. focused around um, specifically Tenet and Michael Mann's Miami Vice and sort of talking about movies that have like labyrinthian plots that you can sort of detach from and engage with on this kind of emotional and sort of image-based level um so that was a really cool one and so if people want to kind of jump into his channel that'd be a great way to do it yeah. um cinema wins is pretty straightforward format wise they're all fairly similar structurally but uh i've been editing for him for a couple months or so now and uh unlike unlike sins i think he takes a good approach to looking at these films and it's a lot of kind of picking apart little elements in the background that are kind of fun pieces of texture in movies uh even movies that are otherwise sort of dunked on in, in the culture like we we just did a video on the original mario bros movie which nice. which which i had never seen uh and it's a trip but yeah a lot of fun never things seen in there. it yeah, yeah I think, it's bizarre. yeah i think it's uh i don't i don't know if i could say it's a good movie but like i i appreciate that movie a lot like just the fact that it's like blade runner meets mario in the it 90s is. i it's funny because I guess they're doing a lot of like, you know, Burton riffing and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, coming off of like, or it being the work of like, you know, at least at its genesis, the the, the Max Headroom guys, like, yeah, there's, <laughs> it was always going to be bizarre. Uh, but I appreciate that they were willing to be in ways that like clearly with the new Mario, they would never be an eighth that strange. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you guys do tangents and sidebars on this show oh, much. We do a lot. Can... We do a lot of that. You do? Okay, beautiful. That's great. I'm like, I can keep this tight, but yes. no. Um, I I love a good tangent about the Mario movie. Uh, <laughs> and the incredible work of a weirdly game cast, despite mm-hmm. them on set apparently not being at all game. Yeah, I think Bob Huskins was like drinking a lot. Yeah, like... him and him and Leguizamo were apparently getting just absolutely blasted to like survive production yeah Um, don't blame them no and then hearing that like nintendo was so not involved that the production assumed that peach was daisy and that's why daisy is daisy in the film (laughs) they were like oh princess toadstool and then mario land came out and the princess was apparently called daisy and they went oh that's princess toadstool i guess her name's daisy and then they Mm -hmm. made her daisy in the movie so it's like a research error not that like they put daisy (laughs) Like, yeah, it's supposed, to, it's supposed to be Peach. Yeah, yeah, she's Peach in every other sense, character-wise and everything. But <laughs> yeah, did yeah. Did you hear? Uh, I think the directors were at the New Beverly at one of the screenings that they did for like the midnight 
sort of grindhouse stuff that they do. Yeah. And I don't know if they did a Q&A. I'd have, I'd have to like research this a little bit. But apparently they were very appreciative that like people enjoy this movie. Like they never went to like a screening of it or just kind of like they've never felt like the appreciation. Maybe they're not on, as online as we are, but they found it very like, you know, uh, like very heartening, I guess. So that that's cool. Yeah, it's got to be kind of cathartic, like, you know, 30 years down the road, basically, that something where you've basically been lambasted for it. Yeah. And it sort of tanked your career. Mm -hmm. Seeing that, like, people have found some, like, earnest appreciation for it long after the fact. Sadly, I think just, like, art kind of goes that way sometimes. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm, I'm glad that they were able to kind of find some peace in it. If yeah. Bob Hoskins, unfortunately, never got to see that. Yeah, Bob Hoskins. I think probably like Dennis Hopper too. Yeah. <laughs> Although that that guy seemed so he was such a like live wire that I I have to imagine that he's just kind of like yeah that was one of fifty weird ones I did. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God. That was a maniac. Strange movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no. Um, yeah, your videos are great. Um, you know, it's always good to have a fellow editor on. You know appreciate the craft and then uh you're also uh talk about a little bit if you want um then you also went to uh arclight as well right uh yeah i was uh i was i was an arclight employee at the the now defunct arclight hollywood All right. uh worked there two different times uh including the most recent stretch was a year and a half i worked there up until up until the shutdown so i got to see the uh the 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 at least temporary death of the industry, but potentially more permanent death of the ArcLight. Unclear yeah. if they're reopening. Uh, got to witness it firsthand. Very surreal few weeks there. Yeah, the, la- the last couple ones? Yeah, it was just, as you started to kind of see attendance sort of taper off, and we were just like wiping all the surfaces down, and like everyone yeah. suddenly had 10 other jobs. Yeah, um, I, man. I love that place. I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast, but that was that was such a great like hangout spot. That's oh, the best, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's it's something where even with all the usual issues that people would have with a uh, a part time job, you know, mm-hmm. pay, working conditions, things like that, kind of. And you know, you know, I'm not here to to, to yeah. bash the management of the ArcLight Hollywood at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah but, <laughs> no other issues with it but i think at the same time like most of us got jobs there because we love the place and i mm-hmm. think that for the vast majority that relationship with it didn't change yeah um it's the best like there was a reason that so many people went there and why it was kind of this like mecca for like even just you know people who just moved to la and are kind of like figuring their their shit out and mm-hmm. um like people who have been in the industry for decades like it's they all went there and i think that was yeah for a good reason yeah tarantino went there boy did he (laughs) writing writing his films with uh pen and paper (laughs) in the booth of the cafe oh man i remember he was he was writing something it was some scripts it was in script form when i passed by him in early 2020 when i was working at the cafe bar uh and either that is something that will not see the light of day or that was Hmm his like early you know scribblings that have become the movie critic or whatever the movie is going to be called yeah that's it his Um, last movie apparently but that was his process which was yeah drinking his blue cocktail and (laughs) he always got his like like blue hawaiian thing and yeah was etching his ideas down funny guy yeah he yeah he seemed like a character not in a bad way but definitely a character (laughs) certainly was one yeah but uh, yeah, going off of that, um, just kind of going into this discussion, uh, favorite James Gunn films, because there's a lot of uh, characters in those movies. Oh, man. I mean, it's kind of about a fascinating career where, I mean, I guess there's not really a great comp. I mean, you're seeing more and more people go from horror to blockbusters. Mm-hmm. Um, like Sandberg, Muschietti. Uh, are kind of two big notes. Oh, James Wan also. I mean, a lot of it's happening over on the DC side of things. Like, they kind of just keep pulling in horror filmmakers. But, you know, Scott Derrickson did it as well um, on the first Doctor Strange. But he's a fascinating one in the sense that, like, 
you're kind of seeing his horror sensibilities like come through, but never, never as horror, just kind of like the things he finds icky, he gets to sort of play with in his non horror films, but not even framing them as like scary anymore. He just kind yeah. of finds them to be like fun world texture. Mm -hmm. um, whereas I think the other horror directors have kind of incorporated their past work as just putting horror beats in their superhero movies. Mm -hmm. um, he's never seemed interested in that. Um, yeah. But I guess kind of going off that, I sort of liked his weirdest ticks, even if a lot of his films now seem to be about like litigating that period of his life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So even if he has maybe mixed feelings about them, I I mean I can't really tell, but uh I I have a soft spot for Slither uh as probably my favorite. Mm -hmm. Um it's that or the second Guardians film. Okay. Um which uh I have, I have my my personal biases toward uh because it was the first movie of any like you know theatrical scale i ever worked on out here uh nice and so that was kind of my, my way into into the industry after college um but independent of that i i think that movie is pretty exceptional yeah no it's like um i think i was talking to someone this morning about which is my favorite of the volumes and we'll get to volume three a little bit later but i i'd still go with volume two after seeing all these because it's like I don't think it ever hits the emotional heights of like Yondu uh, sacrificing himself again or what have you. It's it's just like that was such a good moment. That's such a good movie, you know, too. Back when, uh, you know, kind of felt a little more uh, nicer to the MCU, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it definitely came out in sort of a, a better time for that series or at least one where they weren't quite getting the same amount of pushback that they do now. Um, yeah, yeah. I can't tell if it's that the films were that much better or, I mean, I would have to actually look at a list because there's so many. I can't yeah. like pinpoint where things dip. Um, like it's, yeah, <laughs> I guess this is kind of its own question. I don't want to sidebar away from mm -hmm. James Gunn too much, but you can't really talk about him without talking about like the larger arc of the MCU. Yeah. I guess. Um, especially because he now has sort of a strange relationship with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They kicked him out. Then that made him more powerful. It's, it I is think. one of the greatest fail upwards, mm -hmm. uh, at least public fail upwards I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, I was joking with, with a person that I saw the movie with uh, three. So I saw volume three with that in the special thanks, I was really hoping to see Mike Cernovich in there. <laughs> um, right. Because man, <laughs> Like he he should he should buy that guy dinner or something. Be like, hey, I know you're like a weird alt right fascist. However, yeah. thank you for the money, the gigs, mm -hmm. a studio. Right? Yeah, those chain yeah. of events that that dude started by digging up old tweets. Yeah, would have happened. Which it was like stuff he already apologized for, probably felt like regret for, you know. And it's just like it was so fucking weird. Yeah he led to these chain of events to like lead to him, like relaunching DC, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. The, 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 uh, it's the classic, um, having your pedophilia jokes dug up to running a film studio pipeline. Like, yeah, yeah. that's just kind of how you make it in this industry. Yeah. Famously. I <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But yeah. Um, yeah. For his like trauma movies, I mean, kind of going off of that, like some of his other, non-mcu films uh i think i really enjoy like super super is like probably his best film or one of his like non you know superhero ip films like it's just like very personal it seems like him processing like his divorce because he was married to like pam jennifer, right? jennifer fisher yeah from the office and it's like really sincere it feels like really personal you know everyone does like such a like awesome job in it like rain elliot um with tyler's in it mike rooker's mm -hmm. in it it's like what a what a stack cast yeah, so, some genuinely kind of like unnerving performances in that movie i mean it's maybe not his well i guess kind of all of his films from that era sort of distressing for a number of reasons yeah, yeah. um but that is a fascinating one where it has 
like it's obviously micro budget, but it has a little bit more polish than some of mm -hmm. his early stuff. But it's like pairing the polish of like a wide release film with, or I guess it wasn't it wasn't wide release, was it? I think it, it had didn't really make any money, but yeah, it was through like IFC. So I want to say it was probably limited. It was through IFC okay. Films, yeah. But like I guess you know it had a pretty big cast and a lot of people he would go on to work with again or had already mm -hmm. worked with. I mean, you know, the thing he's bashed for by the Snyder bros online. Of, oh, he worked with the same people multiple yeah. times. And he's like, I'm a director. You're right. <laughs> That's those people. I don't know. Like, it's, I don't want to know if I want to get like into the mud for that that's but, like that's a whole yeah can of worms that might not be worth opening but I, I i will say it's weird that they hate him so much because for all intent from everything i know he seems to be friends with Zack snyder at least like friendly terms after they work together with on uh dawn, dawn of the, the dead. dead yeah it's just like so weird like they they target this guy of all people that yeah is probably friends with their the dude that they worship which you know it, it, it is that strange thing where a lot of it is kind of framed around like weird standing as like your guy. And even if like, like they can kind of ignore like industry dynamics and relationships between people and things and kind of like weave headcanon of what this is, mm -hmm. which is like James Gunn is this twerp who came in and usurped something like, which in a strange way is sort of it's it's true only in the sense of like he has stinker energy which is kind of his whole thing and then once this was a thing that was run by Zack Snyder and now it is a thing that is run by James Gunn yeah and that's well I guess it was never run by Zack Snyder it was no not really no he was I mean, just sort of like the key creative voice on yeah he influenced it was sort a of lot. like kind of ironically sort of like what Whedon was doing with Marvel in the early yeah. 2010s yeah um and then obviously those converge in a deeply fraught way. Um, <laughs> so anyway, to answer your question, Slither is my favorite. <laughs> Slither, yeah. Yeah, yeah I love it's a good word. It's, it's a strange thing where Super kind of seemed like the last time he fully reckoned with like, you know what I find harrowing? Sexual violence. Like mm -hmm. that was a big part of his films for so long. And I mm -hmm. see why it, it, a lot of those maybe don't sit well with people, but it does kind of make it a fascinating arc. Where like him being someone who approaches things he finds distressing as like an opportunity to shock. Yeah. Um and you know, that can be sort of unpacked, I guess, but it's it's always been something where it was undeniably, I think, effective in his films, but I also mm -hmm. see why those early ones maybe aren't for everyone in ways that obviously is new stuff. I mean they're 200 million dollar films they kind of need to be for everyone uh yeah, yeah. but he, he has found a strange way to sort of take elements of those movies uh you know his his love of tentacles and <laughs> yeah sh shoving them into people uh that has somehow stuck around mm -hmm. through all of this uh you know the number of times that like Groot has shoved his little his little mittens into oh, like yeah. various baddies i'm like oh it's very slither of him like yeah it, it carries yeah so you're you're, yeah. you're seeing kind of things remain and he's managed to kind of maintain a voice even as he sort of like completely changed the movies he made which is yeah definitely i don't know if you you would uh see any of that in uh like movies he wrote like scooby-doo or anything but yeah maybe not i mean it does kind of seem like when he talks about scooby-doo he has sort of been like it gave me a career but mm -hmm. um i think it's probably on the whole sort of a, for higher job i mean i know yeah. he wrote it originally to be way darker i think that, if i remember correctly it was like supposed to be it was kind of the like modern reinvention pg-13 slash light r kind of space and then it had to be kind of re reworked mm -hmm. for all audiences um so yeah, I'd imagine that probably a lot of the stuff that he would have wanted to put in that is sort of absent. And then like Dawn of the Dead kind of gave him more freedom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that that one's um, God, I, I haven't revisited that one maybe in a few years, but I think like Dawn of the Dead is like, yeah, that one still holds up. I think. 
Yeah, I, I watched it sometime in the past three years, uh, somewhere after the world collapsed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, somewhere in there. But yeah, no, it's, it is impressive the way that like, it doesn't have any of the kind of explicit hallmarks of those two directors, at least in like a very overt way. Mm-hmm. But you kind of see like the seedlings of them becoming like very vivid, specific filmmakers as their paths sort of diverge. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was like, that was the nexus point. Yeah. For all these movies. <laughs> Dawn of the Dead. Right. Yeah. The the kind of like the Domino's meme of mm-hmm. them making their little zombie movie to like the anarchy of the studio system. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, those early films of his are great. Um, some of his trauma movies may vary for audience members. Not saying seek them out, but like maybe one or two are good, right? One or two. I think seek. I think seek out Romeo and Juliet. I think oh, okay. know that. I think know what you're getting into. I mean, if people are kind of interested in his broader career, I think you kind of can't not watch it. Because mm-hmm. um, I think, in a strange way, like I was sort of getting at before, a lot of those things have stuck around. Yeah. Um, I mean, the presence of Sean Gunn obviously mm-hmm. is part of it, but like. This maybe is is a segue to the third Guardians film, but I think a lot of his kind of bizarro, like animal mask stuff he's doing in Tromeo and Juliet is Mm -hmm. sort of like a very quick and dirty version of the the counter-earth animals in Guardians 3, (laughs) which is sort of fascinating. Like it's the exact same kind of design approach to like human-animal hybrids that like you're seeing him revisit what... Mm -hmm. 25 to 30 years later or whatever it is yeah some something something like in his brain like kind of led us to all the counter-earthy animal aliens which interesting yeah i guess we'll we'll get on to just guardians then um yeah Yeah. um did you have any like like thoughts or expectation just going into this film i was kind of like i knew it'd be great um to like what degree i'm like hmm like yeah when we're getting to that last act and some of the stuff he like sets up it's like it gets pretty pretty good i think it's a fascinating thing yeah kind of this was sort of where my my head was at coming into this this movie i mean i've always kind of had a sort of one foot in one foot out relationship with the mcu i'm i've never been like fully in the hole on all yeah. of it i'm i am not a comics person not as okay. a like ugh, comics yeah. but like yeah not not in a like I want to give a nerd a swirly <laughs> approach or something. I just, yeah. you know, haven't been a person who dives into them, but I'm also, you know, if a big movie comes out, I'll see it. And if a small movie comes out, I'll usually see it. There's just yeah. a lot more of those. So, um, but I see all of these. And despite that though, I think I like many have a bit of a different relationship with the MCU now compared to six years ago mm-hmm. when the last one came out. Um I'm sure James Gunn does too. Uh, yeah, yeah. In a, in a certain way. But yeah, I guess, I mean, I went went in with like somewhat, you know, high expectations. Uh, a buddy of mine worked on this film as oh. a post PA, uh, kind of working in the same space, different job, working in the same space that I did on the second one. Oh. Cool. Uh, and so I kind of was getting the like, how are things going? Like litmus test from him. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I can't tell you anything. I'm like, I know. I'm like, is the movie good? He's like, yeah, no, the movie's great. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, it, it can be hard to see when you're, when you're in it. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I was taking him being like the movie's great with like a grain of salt, but also he seemed willing to be like, if something wasn't going to work, he'd be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but he, he obviously told me nothing about the movie content wise. Uh, yeah. He, 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 I'm saying this explicitly on the air. He did not break NDA. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I want to throw him under the bus. Yeah. No, he told me everything. It was incredible. Uh, and this is his <laughs> name. You can reach him this way. Um, this is his address. Uh, there's a battering ram on his door. Guys, tomorrow morning. Um, Marvel snipers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like little laser dots coming in through his window as we speak. Uh, this hasn't even been uploaded yet. But <laughs> no. So I was kind of like gauging that. And so I was. You know, excited about it, but I also knew that Gunn had to sort of deal with uh, 
Marcus and McFeelyisms that had been incorporated on yeah. in Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah. More specifically, Endgame, obviously. Because uh, Infinity War, he at least got to like tinker with dialogue and things, but Endgame, he was gone. And so his original plan on the second film, uh, at least maybe not plan, but at least brief thought, was to kill Gamora and then decided maybe I shouldn't do that. I don't want to take that off the table. Uh, and then he he pivoted to Yondu, which I think was a great choice. Um, I mean, you know, it's fascinating that Gunn seems to have a very good, or not has had, I guess his dad just passed away recently, but mm. had a very good relationship with his father, which is incredible considering his films are so much about people who have horrendous relationships with their dads. Mm -hmm. um, I guess he just finds the dynamic interesting. But yeah. It, it, it was a good pivot. Uh, but then unfortunately, yeah, he was gone. And they said, what if we kill her and don't kill her? Um, yeah. Ugh. And then said, here, take it. Yeah. Uh, and so that it's... has to be dealt with. Yeah, I don't know. It's I guess that could go on another tangent. Like Endgame makes just weird, bizarre <laughs> choices. <laughs> like just It makes, it's <laughs> strange. It makes bizarre choices. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an Endgame defender. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's one of their best movies. Uh, I think it's better, far and away the best movie the Russos have made. Yeah, well, I was gonna say, yeah, certainly better than like the Gray Man or like what was the Tom sure. Holland one? Uh, Cherry. Cherry. <laughs> Look, <laughs> we don't. Yeah, we we don't have to get into either. Uh, mm -hmm. But no, I, I mean, I love Endgame. I think the pomp and circumstance around it was actually met by my experience watching it. Um, yeah. I think it's like structurally everything a three hour event film should be. Mm -hmm. um, kills. It's so fun. Um, and so I think killing Gamora was something that made sense in that movie, but okay. it's just, you don't consider what that puts on the next person's plate. Yeah. Um, like it's television. I mean, you know, that's yeah. kind of the, the ultimate knock of these things is everyone's like, it's just TV, which now it is both tv and movies but <laughs> yeah yeah they they were they heard your shit's television and they said that um yeah let's make some tv like filler episodes look <laughs> we, we don't we have to get into the disney plus stuff yeah it, it's got its problems yeah you know I'm, i have a mixed mm -hmm. opinion on it but no i think this is a movie that i went in with pretty high expectations because I've never disliked one of his movies, mm -hmm. I think is what it is. Um, I think he's just very, very good at making films that on paper and given the way that they're talked about, I should find abrasive, mm -hmm. but I don't. Mm -hmm. I can't really articulate what separates him from like a Deadpool type approach to these because it's small, but it's, it's distinct. Um, I think there is a genuine sincerity and like a childishness in like a loving way with these films. Yeah. Yeah. It's very empathetic. I would say more than like Deadpool, which is like, I mean, I like the Deadpool films, but you know, wouldn't say like they're like works of art or something, you know? No, I mean, I, I, I like the second one of those at the very least. And you know, it's, it's, it's lovingly made and sincere, but I think there is, you know, I'm not trying to like, pit things against each other or anything yeah. but um i think there is just a means to an end with the kind of stinkerness of the guardians movies i mean that's mm -hmm. sort of their entire backbone is people being nasty because they're actually kind of dealing with stuff like that's yeah it's 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 not subtle about it in these films um you know i think he has a very deft way of writing films that are not very subtext heavy and they lay it everything they're about on very thick, but in ways that feel very, I don't know, there's something sweet about it in a certain way mm -hmm. that people are willing to be so candid. Um, it seems like I'm like giving them a pass for like the normal thing you'd bash a, a script for, but yeah, I think it's just like the, the commitment of the performances to people that are very intensely navigating their relationship with people around them. Um, mm -hmm. And that holds up in this movie too. I mean, across all three films, that's been something he's been really locked in on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
yeah i would say yeah that's kind of like the linchpin of all these for sure but yeah um i would say yeah that's just kind of some of the you know things that hold these film together just like the emotions of like rocket uh we finally get to see his origin which is uh pretty pretty traumatic i don't know this was kind of like you know one of the talking points of this film just kind of the places it goes not to say it's like you know um like distasteful or what have you but like man like some of the stuff where they're experimenting on rocket those are like really like tough scenes to watch i think if you're like an animal lover or just some of the the character arc because it's like it's a kind of a pretty dark movie i felt like just you know like i guess we'll go into like full-on spoilers but you know uh rocket lila and then his other animal companions are everyone except him teeth and floor yeah floor yeah they're just like killed by the high evolutionary it's it's gnarly i mean i think a where people land on this movie overall you know there there are kind of questions of structure and how much jumping around it has to do and things like that but i think a you're in or you're out kind of fulcrum point of this movie that i've heard is whether you find that stuff to be effective or mean um because especially for a blockbuster but also kind of in general um it's an oddly nasty Mm -hmm. movie or at least within its certain sections it's an oddly nasty movie yeah um and it's it's very eager to like kind of punish the audience i mean i think there's probably an element of like you know james gunn's sort of devilishness in it where it's like especially watching it a second time the scenes the initial scenes with that group of four animals in the cage is played so cute in mm-hmm. like such an aggressively cute way that it's almost funny and it kind of makes me think that for all the emotional sincerity of that material and i know he he definitely believes in it and it certainly plays i mean you know i've heard plenty of people say they you know cried during that arc of the film yeah. but i think there's a certain element of him being like i'm gonna pound you with this being the cutest little group of critters in the world and like have them say just the sweetest things and nothing else and then have them all get shot like yeah Yeah. like there there is a certain element of stinkerness in that Mm -hmm. despite the fact that it's very emotionally honest um and you know that that's the the classic gun magic trick with these movies is being willing to kind of lean on his tricks and kind of absurdisms and things but have it still play as sincere yeah yeah you can kind of take it on two levels um so yeah it it was a thing where like even during those sections i found myself laughing at how just how lovey-dovey it was trying to be with them and i'm like you son of a bitch (laughs) (laughs) um but it works clearly it's just you know sometimes it it people seem to be saying sort of to what end uh yeah. and i think it's a fair question i mean you know you're you're going to these films not to be punished i guess yeah yeah but it's bold that he was willing to go there mm-hmm. um yeah especially to dig into it especially for a marvel movie like this is like i don't know certain scenes like go almost to the edge of being like r-rated i felt you know yeah um i it's something where i heard this not through that friend but kind of through grapevine um that like you know there there were moments of violence that had to be kind of calibrated to clear mpaa mm-hmm. um mm. i can't verify that myself i wasn't there yeah. but there seemed to have been multiple reports that things had to be fine-tuned yeah um, and no, I mean, the, the fact that a, a, a Marvel film is anything that could push them. I mean, I guess we never really know. Maybe there were gnarly elements of past films that had to be like fine tuned, like maybe like Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. All the Raimi stuff. Had, yeah. Yeah. Like maybe like Raimiisms had to be sort of reset, which I would totally believe. Like that's something where I'm like, I could see them having to scale back on certain yeah. elements. Um, but it really does seem like this is a movie where he got to do whatever he wanted. It's just that he still had 
certain elements he was boxed in by. Um, yeah. Which just makes it's the, the movie, I think, is a little crowded, I guess, in a certain regard. Um, where all of the elements are good, it just has a lot of elements it has to deal with in two, what, two and a half hours, pretty much? Pretty much, dot. yeah. I want to say it's like two and a half, yeah. Yeah. So, like, for an oddly lean plot, like, it's... At least it's the smallest scale of the Guardians movies, for sure, um, in terms of, like, the journey of it or something, or the stakes of it, seemingly, although it's kind of unclear how destructive the High Evolutionary's, like, final you know, plan is um, him destroying the world is not as, or the universe is not as front and center as um, like Ego's plan. Yeah. Where you actually see like the ticking clock of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, he was, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the performance of High Evolutionary. Uh, I forgot that actor's name because he's in like Peacemaker. But yeah, kind of, I guess we got the general plan that he was just trying to, I guess he was kind of, genocidal i suppose yeah he, he definitely is it's it's a question of what did he feel because you know they sort of talk about how he wants to like perfect the universe in a certain mm. way and you see him blowing up planets that he considers failures mm -hmm. um but it's unclear if he is sort of someone who believes that he needs to like commit genocide to creations that aren't his. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was a little unclear. It's yeah. And I don't mean that as a knock. It's, it's, I frankly kind of universe shattering stuff is sort of where my eyes glaze over at these. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's why guns work is so effective because he seems sort of, either uninterested in it or when like his plots go there the backbone of it is always something else yeah um like there's something very like like with guardians 2 there's something very like revenge of the sithy about the fact that it's like this is a world falling apart but really it's about two people yeah um and their relationship and how there's a macro and micro conflict sort of happening mm -hmm. at the same time um stuff going on yeah, I don't know. I think in the comics, yeah, I think just from what I know of the High Evolutionary, yeah, he's kind of like someone where it's like eugenics, things like that. So I think he was trying to get rid of, you know, the uh, world. He's, you know, seemed inferior or what have you. Um, I think in the comics, he's more committed to creating like bestials, like the animal hybrids <laughs> for some reason. Okay. That's okay. his thing. Have you ever seen the uh, cartoon? spider-man unlimited not in in, like only only like an episode or two not oh, okay. anything i've like actively watched um has the high evolutionary in that yeah it's funny i mean from what i understand mm -hmm. uh the characters in these guardians movies their their comic depictions are often very different um where it's like he took some kind of key bullet points about these characters and then sort of otherwise filter them through his kind of basic plan yeah um which that's not new i mean i think i think a lot of approaches to comics to make them kind of maybe not palatable to a mass audience like i don't think they're that cynical about it but yeah i think yeah. it's i think they recognize that only a certain percentage of the audience is going to be people familiar with these characters mm -hmm. and so they want to approach the source material with like basic respect, but they also, you know, know that that gives them an opportunity. And yeah, I mean, you can't adapt like everything about a character or just like stuff that it's kind of goofy by today's standards, you know? Yeah, but um, yeah. no, you were getting into the the performance for High Evolutionary. Um, I'm gonna butcher the actor's mm -hmm. name probably, which I I apologize for, but uh, yeah, Chikuri Uwuji, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. If I got that wrong, please. Please yeah. bash me in the in the comments of where this is posted. But um but yeah, no, he his Shakespeare background is very much something that Gunn seemed like he wanted to lean on here. And I think that rules. Cause yeah, it's the kind of character where because he doesn't really have much interior concern, mm -hmm. like there there isn't some like, oh, it's really about his trauma. Like, yeah. no, there's there's none of there's none of that. It's like, uh -huh. no, he's just a bad guy. Like yeah. Some That's people are just of, shitty. Yeah. Yeah. Some people just suck. And that is something where I think a lot of um, even Marvel villains can be kind of 
lost in terms of like, oh, is that character or that performance memorable? It's like playing a bad guy who is just a bad guy, uh, unless you're like maniacal mm-hmm. and you're playing it in some like massive way. I think those performances can be lost pretty easily in kind of like the the muck. Um, but there is something just so intense about his performance. Yeah. Um, that I think he, he brings a certain like bombast to it, um, which is kind of mesmerizing and it like really elevates like, I mean, kind of every scene he's in, but especially the rocket sections, like the yeah. flashbacks. Yeah. He's terrible. Yeah. He's like killing animals. Bad guy. Yeah. It's a bad, bad guy. Yeah. You know, the, the wiping out of animals, obviously the like really gnarly like especially like the little turtle section pretty pretty ghastly stuff um mm-hmm. but there is a certain kind of just error he brings even in unspoken moments of him just kind of committing like abhorrent acts of violence or just just cruel treatments like everybody around him um no i think i think he's phenomenal i mean and he's also across from a very very good voice acting performance from Bradley Cooper, who I've always stood by. I'm like, he's a great actor, but mm-hmm. this is some of my favorite work of his. Like, yeah, I've I always mean, been like his, like Rocket is just such a well fleshed out character and he delivers. Yeah, I don't know. Um, he doesn't really get talked about, I guess, or maybe maybe I'm like not hearing, but yeah, he's like, he's like the heart of these movies. And then too, like the performance, he's giving like a really like solid like he's doing like this different voice it's a lot of like emoting too yeah like as opposed to like you know some of the you know like voice acting that you see in like you know because some actors just aren't voice actors like that's its own craft that's its own art you know but oh yeah yeah some of these you know star-studded animated films (laughs) those characters just feel astonishingly like violently flat yeah because they don't there's a fear i think to like elevate in a certain way and i think what was smart with with his performance in this i don't know what of his process was or what of his you know overall performance was developed by him versus like things pitched by gun i mean it's always a collaboration obviously but i guess what was smart is is they kind of said seemingly like a decade ago like you can go as big and absurd as you want to here. Yeah. The emotional honesty will be there, but Mm -hmm. him getting to have like kind of a wild voice and like a kind of getting to push all of the emotional beats a little harder and like kind of establishing that ground early allowed him to like really take big swings. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And yeah, I mean, he gets, I guess he gets lost because he's never on set. He is, never on screen you never see his face and he also never does press for these movies and so i think you almost forget that he's involved in it despite him yeah. being a massive star yeah um i mean i was shocked when i saw him at the new york premiere <laughs> and i was like oh right they were in his neighborhood so he's like yeah i'll pop in like <laughs> i'll yeah. come say hey take some pictures and i yeah <laughs> when i saw the red carpet photos for this movie i was like oh my god a bradley cooper appearance at a guardians event mm-hmm. Yeah, Never he doesn't thought I'd see it. Yeah, he doesn't really do too much. Not to say I don't think like he hates these movies, but like maybe it's just not his thing. I don't know. Just speculating, but yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of the ideal, isn't it? It's like by all accounts, I um I was never around at at Disney Marvel when they were doing press for these. Um mm-hmm. but my uh my sister was cuz she was at in this the the disney marvel kind of intersection job that i was in she was in it before me Mm -hmm. and i remember her saying that during press for these movies it was kind of a wild thing to watch where it's just the actors have to just sit down for hours and hours and hours and they just keep parading in a bunch of different press people who then ask them the same question over and over and over again and then knowing full well that they have to now travel somewhere else and then do this again which obviously she didn't get to see because she wasn't traveling but even just the ones that were happening at disney it was just a thing of like oh yeah this seems exhausting Mm -hmm. so if you could be in a marvel movie the gig is fast get your bag yeah you've kind of a beautiful performance 
mm-hmm. and then let the movie come out, go see it once, be like, nice, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And then live your life. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, incredible. It's a dream. Get, get to make your Leonard Bernstein movie. Mm-hmm. Like, make, uh, was it Star is Born? I'm not sure if you like that, but really good. Great movie. Great movie. Yeah, yeah big fan. I think he's a very talented director. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see the, the Bernstein movie this year. Same. Um, yeah. But no, it's 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 fascinating. I mean, I guess he's one of many actors like starting to kind of dip their toes in in directing land. Didn't Karen Gillan direct something recently? Am I crazy? Uh, yeah, no, she did this movie where it was like this really intense drama that was about like alcoholism. It was called like when the par- it was like something uh, the party ends or something like that. It was like an independent film. I, I haven't seen it, but it seemed to like go to some really dark places. Yeah. Yeah, I remember thinking it sounded like a very like, you know, capital H heavy, capital I indie. Like yeah, yeah. For, for for better or for worse. You know, I I have no clue how it is. I know that there are versions of that kind of movie that I don't really like. Yeah. Um, where I'm just kind of a little shrug on them. Like, I saw it to Leslie. I you know, I not not to make to Leslie catch strays out of nowhere, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's just kind of this like oppressive thing with with big performances and so i think whenever i see a movie like that i sort of approach them a little cautiously and i often don't end up seeing them but not to say there aren't good ones and so you know it could be great i mean her acting sensibilities are clearly good yeah um i think she's outstanding in all of these movies mm-hmm. um and kind of i guess sort of the the um the the sneaky big arc of these is sort of hers i mean yeah she goes through like such a transformation from that first movie yeah and 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 the time jumps in these or lack of them is obviously very hard to track and despite the fact that like there is apparently a massive time leap that isn't really established between the second and third film yeah i was never annoyed by like oh she's changed so much and i'm distracted by that and a like that's not the same person like mm-hmm. she managed to have the character evolve a lot but i still saw the path um and i think just yeah whatever interplay between gun's writing and his directing and her performance um yeah i think i think the complete path of it's just really lovely and um i remember hearing i don't know if you saw this interview where she was trying to crack the character and uh gun was like try clint eastwood meets marilyn monroe Mm. (laughs) and she was like and that was it the whole thing just Mm. you know locked immediately and and yeah and then I remember hearing that then like thinking about her performance I'm like oh right that is it yeah mm-hmm. that's that's what that is the voice and everything yeah yeah the, the kind of breathiness and the kind of like very like like she's doing this kind of very dramatic like catwalk-esque walk mm-hmm. like very like hip heavy but also like very gruff at the same time and yeah and great character like, playing it for laughs but also like you really kind of care for her and and um no I mean everyone's doing fantastic work in this I think it was a good reminder that uh, for all of the bashing he gets for a number of reasons, Pratt is Pratt has he has the juice when he's putting it towards the right kind of project. Yeah, yeah, I um, think like yeah, he's a fairly good act, you know, great actor. Yeah, objectively, yeah. He, has, he has his like limitations in his range, but I think this is sort of the monkey's paw of of these movies is like they launched his career as an action star and i think that's such a shame mm-hmm. where it then tossed him into like jurassic world jurassic world tomorrow war <laughs> um there was that military one that i'm forgetting what it's called oh yeah um, i forgot he's in the passengers yeah he's in Am- that amazon show i think right? yeah 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 and it's all of these characters that seem to have taken the wrong lessons from him being in the Guardians films. It's like he got in good shape and he plays a character who has a gun. And they're like, oh. And then they, yeah, you know, gave him those roles. And they're just he doesn't he can't really do much with like dry people. Like he's not like a Jillen Hall who can like spin that into something like very unnerving or just like transfixing he just sort of disappears into them but um you know i rewatched moneyball a couple mm-hmm. days ago and i'd forgotten how good he is in that movie mm-hmm. um where if there's these tiny beats of like he plays uncertainty very well or like a person trying to kind of fill dead air 
Yeah. Um, you know, like I remember the the in the second film the the whole thing of uh, I thought where he's talking to Gamora, uh, Gamora in the opening scene, and he's like, I thought that uh, guns were my thing and swords were your thing. And he's getting like sort of upset about it. He's like, no, I just, I thought that was kind of what we were doing. Like <laughs> when he gets to kind of play in that weird space, yeah. um, he's, he's outstanding. I mean, he also made an absolute meal of Marvel's first use of fuck in this yeah. one. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, that was a, I was like, that was a good crowd reaction. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. in the film. Oh, like, killed, crowd. killed in the crowd. Mm-hmm. I almost crowd wish that clip fun. wasn't online before the oh, movie yeah. came out. Because yeah. I was like, I, I knew it was coming. I mean, still played, and probably there are people less online than me. Yeah, same. As most people are, uh, who hadn't seen that clip and busted out. Like, it's very, it's I guess it's very Deadpool to find the word fuck funny. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's really funny. funny when it's used it's for funny. it. It's really funny, and it it was fun. I guess uh, Gun kind of gave him. A second crack at it because uh the second film had one that's 80 yard over mm-hmm. um do you remember this no i don't actually know what was that so uh in the mary poppins scene at the very end um uh, yondu goes what's he cool about mary poppins and then in this kind of very loving moment uh quill goes uh hell yeah he's cool but when he says hell you see his mouth say fuck mm. And it's 80 yard over. It's it's one of these things where you don't notice it, but then as soon as you do notice it, it's so vivid. But yeah. I guess that's kind of ADR. Like yeah. his mouth in no way says hell. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why they got rid of it. Maybe they found it to be like, I mean, if I had to guess, it's probably that that's such a sweet moment that within a Marvel movie saying fuck is like, oh my God, they said the thing. Like, I think it'd probably be distracting. I guess mm-hmm. it's probably a lot of it um i doubt it was like a studio note or anything but they found a great place for it here where it's like it's not some big dramatic moment it's that nebula can't open the door to a sedan (laughs) yeah (laughs) and she's treating it like she's disarming a bomb it's so funny yeah it's a good there's a lot of good comedic beats yeah Um, her her pushing in the 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 button and then the hunch down like okay what's step two like (laughs) yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah any uh kind of going off of beats here um any uh you know there was a lot of good uh needle drops in this any good music uh any sort of like tracks that cut that you thought were that you really enjoyed i have a few film me go off yeah it's because it's sort of a more sprawling soundtrack decades wise than either of the other ones Mm-hmm. um for kind of plot based reasons obviously but also just is in general i'm kind of trying to like pinpoint what jumps out i think in kind of a like i had a soft spot for this and so it was funny to hear it you know i've been to a mowgli's concert it was very mm-hmm. fun uh and so i was like how is he going to weave san francisco by the mowgli's into this movie when i heard it was in it like that's yeah. bizarre and it it arrives in probably the film's most chaotic use of cross-cutting mm-hmm. where it's like Gamora's piloting. Was it the Bowie? Is that the name of the ship? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like she's piloting the Bowie and it's like, she's on the ship. She's like ripping through trees or something like that. And like everyone is on the ship thinking that the others are on the ship. And so like the camera's jumping around, like mm-hmm. trees are being snapped. Gamora's screaming and all the while, like diegetically, san francisco by the mowgli's is like blasting <laughs> through the speakers i'm like yeah that is maybe i think when my like this movie's a little scattered mm-hmm. so oh, like it, it finds a certain beauty in that moment where i'm like it's scattered and boy oh boy i like it like it's yeah I, I think it's kind of an amazing moment where it's embracing the chaos and mm-hmm. and i think that song is used very well um dog days obviously- are over Oh, right. As the kind of, yeah, I saw a video of her watching the movie. It was very lovely. Oh, Um, yeah, it was sweet. Yeah. Yeah. She's watching the scene and, and, and Miss Welch was having a good cry. I never knew that was her last name (laughs) until now. Uh, Yeah. It's no, I mean, there's a lot of good ones. What is it like? uh, Obviously there's the kind of 
big no sleep till brooklyn sequence where like the song isn't really the hook but it's i mean the hook is the scene it's staged in a very like mm-hmm. i guess it's matthew vaughn-esque in a certain oh, way but yeah um but like i i guess i like the sensibility of this movie a lot more so i find there again it's it's deadpool versus this type thing it's sort of also kingsman versus this where it's like this movie isn't trying to insist to me that it's transgressive. And so I think in its bloodiest moments, I don't feel like it's trying to prove anything. I think it just kind of is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why the no sleep till Brooklyn sequence works really well. It's also just very well staged. I mean, the camera is on one. Uh, And like his insane wide lensing thing during it as the camera's like yo-yoing around. And like, you know, when someone like holds a gun towards the camera, it looks like it's like, Wong Kar Wai's Fallen Angels or something. It's just everything yeah. is so warped and mm-hmm. and ripping around and yeah, it's it's the it's very you know kinetic and so it's a fun one, I guess. What yeah. jumped out to you? Yeah, I think like uh, the one that's like caught in my head right now because they were like some great ones. Uh, Reasons by Earth, Wind, and Fire, <laughs> just playing as they're trying to get out of that uh that corporation, the Flesh Planet. Oh it's yeah, just like, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, so, it's a great so, sequence. The the um the like the butthole world or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. And the whole thing just looks like a sphincter. Mm-hmm. Was it the uh, the orgo orgo core, the orgoscope? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think orgo core. Yeah. Um, a lot of names, a lot of names in these movies, but that was great. I think No Sleep Till Brooklyn, the second Chris Pratt movie this year to have the Beastie Boys. <laughs> It is funny, yeah. The kind of bizarre overlap there. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if I would have predicted that the Mario movie would have a Beastie Boys needle drop. Mm. Um, but you know, I have a lot of needle drop related questions about the Mario movie. Yeah, but that's, that's for a different time, I suppose. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, I think. Uh, and yeah, in the meantime, that was one of my favorites since you've been gone. That was great. And, you know, of course, it opens with Radiohead's Creep. A hard thing to get away with. Yeah. Uh, Overplayed song, yeah. Well, overplayed, but I think also just kind of the joke of that song being overplayed is almost buried the song even further, where it's like, it's it's almost like play Freebird. It's like it has that level of, like, absurd relationship with, like, culture and its prominence that, like, when it came on, I was like, oh my God, like this is what we're going, but burns it. I mean, it's a good scene. You know, yeah, I yeah. goes with the it's character. a lovely opening. Um, it's also very cool how the tone and palette of these movies is set very quickly within their opening credits. Mm-hmm. I also appreciate that he just likes opening credits a lot. I, yeah. I have such a soft spot for them. And I think you know, you have your audience and I think it's a chance to do something non-narrative to set tone and create this sort of inviting space. And I think, you know, I look at so many Marvel films and they have these beautiful animation sequences with their credits at the very end. I'm like, move these to the beginning. Yeah. This, it, I, it would have been so lovely. Yeah, there's um, a lost art of like opening credits, I think, you know, like you see stuff like, some good you know there's some good like hitchcock ones um you know stuff like dr strange love yeah i mean i remember as just kind of a a test because i was sort of curious how it would play i went into the first black panther and i moved those credits Mm -hmm. from where the um from where they are now which is up to the end of the film to uh I believe where the Marvel logo hits. I just put the credits there instead. Mm. Obviously there's elements of the sound mix that I, I didn't have like a 5.1 that yeah. I could access. So I couldn't fully strip it down, but like, but I was like, wanted to kind of see how it plays. I'm like, this would just be cool. Like, like, you know, the planes flying away in Oakland and then jump into all the stars and then all the credits are playing. And like, yeah, it's, it's something I wish was there. And it makes you feel like you're watching something that has a certain, I don't want to say like importance because I don't know what that means, but yeah, it gives it a certain weight and you like, really kind of like, you get to settle in a little. Yeah. Yeah. It's like transitioning to like a different headspace for sure. Like this yeah. movie. You know, if yeah. you have to track anything, you're just kind of like in the opening in this sequence, you like really got a sense of nowhere and like 
what everyone's relationship is now and like mm -hmm. how things have evolved in yeah without post watching like the christmas special yeah right <laughs> yeah which you know people have i guess said that like that established that star lord and mantis are half siblings yep that's but right. i i remember hearing that that was established there and I did watch it and I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's actually a very, very fun mm -hmm. holiday special, but I didn't even remember that that was established there because I didn't think you needed to, because Mantis was created by ego and ego was Peter's dad. So of course they're half siblings. I didn't think that yeah. that's a reveal. Mm -hmm. So when people say like, why do I need the holiday special for Canon? I'm like, you don't need to know that. You just need to know how babies work. Like I like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm like it's I not, thought this is just known. Yeah, it's not as necessary. It's just never acknowledged. I guess mm -hmm. they acknowledge it more explicitly in this one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess just winding down too. Um, ending. You know where these characters are left off. They all kind of like splinter off, do their own thing. I thought that was like really like. I'm so glad. Um, like they didn't kill anyone off. None like. Like, I'm attached to these characters, which I am, but, like, just the fact, like, it just ends where it's, like, yeah, people's lives change, their life changes, like, their relationship change with, like, friends or, or people or family, and you kind of, like, do your own thing or go off your separate ways. That was really, like, profound, I felt. No, it's a really lovely ending. I think in part of my challenge, like, the, the kind of densely packed aspect of this film, I think it has to do a lot of really quick shorthand mm -hmm. throughout the film to tee up that this like departure is going to happen. Um, like I remember watching it the first time and going in the scene where they're all sitting around in the bar and nowhere and being like, I guess this is it. Like I was like, Oh, we're doing that. I didn't think we needed to. I, it, the movie didn't feel like it was doing that uh, because it's just, everything is moving so quick. But then watching it back a second time knowing that's where it ends i was like okay sure there are little like 15 to 20 second sections peppered in the movie for each character mm -hmm. of them being like what if i went and did something else and they're like oh yeah you could do that anyway and then they move yeah. on yeah. and so it's it's a thing where i'm like i think he was sort of burdened by having to cover a lot of ground and i maybe think it maybe needed one more movie to like fully get everyone to that point mm -hmm. um but even despite that, once you're in that scene, it's, you know, performed in a very lovely way. And it's nice that everyone kind of get, gets to have their sort of home base with their, with their people. Yeah. They, they all get to have their crew, um, which I think is something that is sort of the, the centerpiece of all of these is like a fear of being alone is so prominent in all these films. And I think Gunn, when he left these characters, really wanted to say that like, he left them all with a loving either family or surrogate family or a group, even if those aren't all the same group. Yeah. Like they're going their separate ways, but they find love from other outlets yeah. and like a sense of purpose and things. Yeah, it's really beautiful, I think, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, yeah, just the fact that it just ends like, yeah, they're doing their own thing. Uh, you know, it's they're just dancing, too, at the end. Like, that's really sweet, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, just... it's, a, it's a really lovely little moment, yeah, with, with the Florence and the Machine song playing. And, you know, even though Gunn was saddled with the Gamora death, rebirth, or not rebirth, but, you know, this is a different Gamora because timey-wimey yeah. shenanigans. Um, I thought it was really sweet, I guess bittersweet, really, that he used it as an opportunity to talk about um, moving on from somebody mm -hmm. and how that's like a challenge. And, and as people sort of diverge, finding ways to do it with grace. Yeah. Um, and allow love to evolve into something different mm -hmm. where you know there may not be romance but you still love that person yeah um and, and i think that 
he approaches that in a really beautiful way. And so like those kind of final uh, interactions between Peter and Gamora, I think are, are a really lovely sort of button to that relationship, even if it's not the one that he would have planned on doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just, man, it's just like, can't, you know, self-processing all that stuff for it, but yeah, it's just, it's just cool. Like just that it had a definitive ending. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. like one or two characters you'll see, but like just this story, you know, for like a Marvel movie, it had like such a, you know, this is how Peter and Gamora went. It's very mature. Like they're just two different people now. They're not going to get back together. You know, I think that was like, yeah, that's a really, that's a really like real sort of like statement to make in this yeah, like, saw, blockbuster movie. I saw some people say this is going to be like their exit from the MCU and they're like, all right, I'm tapped out. And I'm like, yeah, honestly, if you were going to jump off of the the train of like the, the, the blockbuster behemoth and like ongoing narrative, this seems like a lovely place to do it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Good place to like, that's the exit sign yeah goodbye yeah but yeah i don't know what else to say about that ending so you know very beautiful um love that peter went back to earth and everything and yeah it's a sweet little moment with his grandpa really hit close to home and yeah just really enjoyed it but yeah i don't think we have anything else to add yeah i mean i could talk about this movie for hours i suppose but that's you know not not trying to turn this into a a three and a half hour tone yeah guardians three Mm-hmm. yeah we don't do three hour podcasts unless uh, <laughs> i think we have done some but have i you? have personally okay but yeah um yeah thanks for dropping by ryan um where can uh people find you if you don't mind yeah uh they can find samples of my photography and some of my cinematography on my uh on my instagram which is just my name so at ryan alva r-y-a-n-a-l-v-a uh my website has more cinematography work has my reel and things uh, which is just going to be my name.com. So our way and Um, otherwise, uh, yeah, I guess as far as my editing, they can find my work on various YouTube channels, uh, mm-hmm. that begin with this video is brought to you by Nebula. Uh, nice. <laughs> if it was, there's a, if it has that, there's a chance I worked on it. Um, but mainly if you like movies, you know, subscribe to Patrick Willems. He makes a lot of cool stuff. Subscribe to cinema wins. Uh, he does as well they're both lovely to work with and i you know hope that their videos keep getting the views that they do because yeah. i'm glad people really like them yeah i'm a fan as well you know great stuff on there i'm excited to check out the bollywood video but yeah no thanks for dropping by um you could find me on twitter instagram g9892 you could follow the waffle press at the waffle press on twitter at the waffle press podcast on instagram we're on itunes spotify soundcloud and youtube um, please like, share, subscribe. Uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We've been professionally unprofessional.